Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tulsa Daily. I'm your host, Mike, uh, with another awesome conversation, this time with Shelly Hickman, who, among many things, is a spokesperson for Epic Charter Schools. They are kind of one of the leaders in Oklahoma in terms of this broader movement towards the virtualization of education. Really innovative. Uh, the, the things they're doing, the programs they have, and how they're going about teaching kids kind of seems like the way of the future and could be exactly what Oklahoma needs right now. So without further ado, enjoy. All right, so I'm here with Shelly Hickman, the spokesperson for Epic Charter Schools. Hi, Shelly. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, surviving in this cold rain that's going on out here. Yeah. Um, so why don't we start just talking about you? What's your background? Where, where were you before you started doing this? Sure. I have been working in Oklahoma public education since 1994, so that oh. kind of Shows my age a little bit to your listeners. Um, I started off working at the Oklahoma Department of Education, um, working for then State Superintendent Sandy Garrett. And I was with her uh, for many, most of the years uh, before she retired in 2010 and did not seek re-election. And then after that, I was the communications director for Norman Public Schools, um, you know, the home of the University of Oklahoma. And um, after Norman Public Schools, I came to Epic, where I'm an assistant superintendent of external affairs. Okay. So uh, you've definitely got quite a bit of experience. You, you definitely know what you're talking about, is what you're telling me. Well, I like <laughs> to think that I am. And if I don't know what I'm talking about, typically I'll say I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what, what drew you to get involved with Epic? Well... You know, um, I had I, I knew some of the people who were working for Epic, and they were growing quickly. And when you're growing at the the type of uh, speed that they were, um, you're about six months behind sometimes in having the people that you need, you know, operationally. And they were beefing up their operations because the demand for this school really um, outpaced what the projections were for the people who founded it in 2011. And um, I'm somebody who, who I love new challenges and new opportunities. I, I don't like to get stale in what I'm doing. And I really, just from being a mother, I saw the need for having public school options for kids. Uh, for instance, my, my middle daughter, uh, my middle child, she's my oldest daughter, has Asperger's syndrome. And the traditional brick and mortar, we had to... It, it, it there were times when it was very stressful for her it was very difficult for her mm. um we did what we could as parents at the time epic wasn't an option for her and she's doing great today she's a, a sophomore at columbia university in new york but nice. it really it, it impressed upon me the need that there's not a one size fit all for children when it comes to public education and the best thing that we can do for them is to give them options and I, I would I would imagine that the traditional brick and mortar public school option is the option that the vast majority of kids and families are going to want and gravitate to. But there's still a large segment of the population that doesn't believe that it's it's being served by that model. So I was I was really excited to come to Epic and um, to help them build and to build awareness for for what we can do for families who need something different. Cool. 
So you were talking about the exponential growth and everything. So it started in 2011. Yes. Said? Okay. Yes. So how many students were there in 2011 at the very beginning versus how many are there now? Well, when they started in 2011, they had around, I mean, it was just under a thousand students, I believe. Um, I wasn't with them at the time, but I believe it was around a thousand students that first year over the course of the year, people enrolling. Now we have over 22,000. As of right now, when I'm talking to you, it's over 22,000 students, which makes us the... It's 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 amazing to me. We're the fifth largest public school system in Oklahoma now. Wow. Yeah. So that explains because you guys have also been getting some pretty decent funding too from that. Well, I mean, if you're reading the headlines, you would think so. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> well, what this? I don't know if this might be too in the weeds for your listeners, but I'll explain Nothing's it real too in the quickly. Weeds. You, okay. you talk about whatever you want. Okay. So schools are initially funded at the beginning of their school year. And if you're a traditional brick and mortar, your initial funding is based upon the highest of the last three years of enrollment. That's how the state decides we're going to give you this this money starting in August. For charter schools, it's how many kids were enrolled at your school as of August 1st. And for us, we always start after Labor Day. So our enrollment on August 1st is, is lower then it's going to be the, the beginning of our school year. Hmm. So then what the state does is every December, it you know, over the course of that first semester of school, it's taking in information from schools. So by December, it knows how many students you have. And they give you a what they call a midterm adjustment. And okay. so they adjust okay. your state funding based upon how many kids you have that have been confirmed. So I know there was a, a Tulsa World... Um, article this week that indicated that we were getting 38 million dollars more but really it's the state catching up to our enrollment it's not like it's more funding it's the state funding that we should have had it's not like you grease some palms down in exactly and so like yeah it's not like a windfall it's it's the amount of funding that you should get based upon the students you have and so um and and one thing i i like to tell people is even though you see that headline um, because we only receive state f- state funding, we don't receive any local funding. We're still, our per pupil funding is about dead last in the state. So mm. it looks like, you know, based upon the headlines, and they, they wrote it correctly, but I could see why readers and, and, and Tulsans might think we're awash in funding, and that's not the case. We, we were almost dead last in the state, but the state was just catching up, if you will, to how much we should receive based upon the number of students we have. Okay, so technically, you were saying per person, you're pretty underfunded. Now, if now according to kind of what we hear and everything about teacher pay and stuff like that, you know, per student funding is directly correlated to how much the teachers, I, I feel like I just, I, mm-hmm. I keep getting that sense. So how, how are your teachers paid? Well, our teachers are paid the highest in the state and the region. Our average teacher salary is about $63,000 wow. and our average teacher has a roster of about 29, 30 students. Um, we, our model allows us to direct more funding straight into instruction we still have, I mean, I know a lot of people say, yeah, but you don't run buses and you don't have child nutrition and you don't have some of the things that you have to pay for that a traditional school has to pay for. But 
our expenses for our model are unique to our model. For instance, we spend almost $400,000 a month just in mileage because we pay our teachers mileage to travel to their students. Uh, we mm. provide Wi-Fi and all of our students and our teachers. Um, we pay for digital curriculum. We're not paying for textbooks, but we're paying for digital curriculum. So we have a lot of operational expenses. They're just different kinds of expenses because we're a different right. kind of school. So it's not just like, you know, it's not just like me doing this show from my, oh, this is online. It doesn't cost anything. Absolutely. I don't have a radio studio. That's right. You know? You've got all this equipment that you had to invest in. And I mean, it, like yeah, that. absolutely. No, but um, all right. So you, you kind of mentioned the word curriculum. I was curious, how does your curriculum differ from like, is there, do you have a little bit more freedom being a charter school? Well, yes and no. I mean, what we, we do provide our, our parents um, a, a menu of digital curriculum that they can choose from. When a student first really? enrolls with us, we do a multiple intelligence test on them, and then we test them like where they are academically. And that multiple intelligence test gives us kind of an idea of maybe among our digital curriculum what might work better for a student, um, but it's still up to the parent to choose. But all of our curriculum is aligned with the academic state standards, and we are obliged by law to teach to those standards um, because that's what our students are assessed on. They, they take the same state exams in the spring that other public school students take. So, it, you know, it's in our interest, it's in the kids' interest, it's in everyone's interest for the curriculum to be aligned to those standards because that's what they're expected to learn and master. So there's a lot of flexibility in the digital curriculum that you can choose. Um, maybe some is more visual-oriented, some is maybe more text-oriented. We try to pair the curriculum with the child's uh, multiple intelligence testing, but um, again, it's, it's ultimately up to the parent, but it's all aligned to the state standards. So you're saying that the goal with how you go about it is to sort of individualize education absolutely rather than because i feel like that's that's sort of one of the problems you know that's why you hear complaints about huge class sizes right. and just stuff like that is that you know kids aren't getting what they personally need they're just kind of getting a right you know well there, there's like an old saying um and, and those of us who've been in public education a, a long time that because of the traditional model you're teaching to the middle um, um, you're, you're teaching to that average student. Um, mm. You're not necessarily um, able, maybe because of class size and resources and time, um, to uh, remediate the students who are below, who need more support. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, the student who, you know, is advanced and finishes everything you need in five minutes and is just sitting there twiddling their thumbs and is not able to move forward. We're not necessarily... Um, in a traditional setting, you're maybe not addressing their needs as well. So, yes, our model, we, we, we definitely, I think that's what's appealing to a lot of people is it's customized. For some students, they need to move slower. I mean, we have some parents who come to us and say, we want you to set the pacing for our, our, our child over, say, a 10-month period versus a 9-month because we know he or she needs a little bit extra um, and then we've got some students who are already completing their second semester of work in high school because they've are you know want to have an accelerated pace. And we've had students who graduate; um, they may be a sophomore in years, but because they're able to move at their own pace, they graduate 
couple of years early and go on to college or community mm. college or something so forth so yes I mean that's a, a big appeal to our model is it being able to customize it based upon your needs now I I've also kind of heard a lot of complaints from teachers that they feel like they don't have as much control as they would like to in how they would teach the curriculum mm -hmm. and so whenever you're dealing with a little bit more of an individualized basis does that mean that the teachers kind of have a little more say in how and how they want to we yes i mean our our teachers are you know kind of the way the model works is a teacher is paired with a student um and he or she teaches across grade level and across content areas so um, you know, she, a, a teacher may be teaching everything from a, a third grader to maybe a freshman in high school. I mean, it, it just varies. Um, we train them on being able to provide, you know, offline instruction and facilitation to, to support what's going on with the digital curriculum because, you know, students don't want to be tied to a computer they want to be able to apply what they're learning being able to discuss what they're learning with the teachers so our teachers have a lot of flexibility the only thing that we ask them to do is to to make sure that they are covering the standards um, sure. but you can cover the standard with a lot of creativity and innovation um, you know it might be that uh, and this is just an example the standard is the student will understand the you know addition two plus two equals four but as a teacher you have a great deal of flexibility to use your creativity in terms of how can I I do something to make sure that that student covers that mastery you know masters that two plus two equals four um, so yes they have a lot of flexibility they just we just make sure that we're teaching to the standards that are that the students are expected to master by the state Cool. So how, how many teachers do you, cause you know, you've gotten a lot of students that mm -hmm. come in from the public schools and everything where it's just not working out for them. Right. How many of the teachers do you have working for you right now? I mean, obviously you're not going to know exactly, but estimate that were, that came to you because they were fed up with the environment and the pay in the public school system. So well, I mean, I, I, we have, we haven't surveyed them. This is totally anecdotally, but, um, a great deal of them have come to us because they want something different. Um, they maybe want a more flexible, um, flexibility in their schedule. Uh, they want, I, I, I've not met a teacher yet who doesn't want to make more money, um, that wants to be able to have a livable wage and be able to, to support their family. Um, but we, we hear a lot of things. I have a, a friend from down in Norman who started working with us this year, and she's a master teacher, um, has been working, worked in a traditional brick and mortar for like 30 years. And she said, I, I have nothing bad to say about the school district that I served before. I just needed something different. I was burnout. She didn't believe she was being paid fairly, even though that's not necessarily the school district's fault. That's you know, she, she faulted the state appropriations, but she was burnt out and she just wanted something different and she's loving it. Um, so it, it's going to run, it's, it's going to depend on the teacher, but I think the, the common denominator was they all wanted something different and they wanted to be paid a livable wage. Hey, that seems pretty fair to me. And me, me uh, as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, hate to go there, but it's gotta be asked. Um, not <laughs> everyone is in love with what you've done. Uh -huh. I, there was an article that I read. Um, let me guess Oklahoma watch. How'd you know? 
It's almost like you guys pay attention to when your name pops up in the media, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there were a few questions. Uh, there were a few questions where they uh, they brought up campaign donations to different mm-hmm. candidates and stuff like that. You know. Um, so uh, and I and I feel like they didn't really give you much of a statement to respond to. So I wanted to kind of ask you, do you have anything else to comment on that, that you feel like you didn't get to say well, in just, the article? Well, just for the, the, the listeners, just a little bit of background. I mean, they called and they wanted me to speak for um, two individuals who are affiliated with our charter school, our superintendent and one of the co-founders, personal private donations. And my response to Oklahoma Watch was, Here's the statement from those two individuals about their private donations. Um, I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me as a spokesperson for the school to be talking about why the superintendent or the co-founder chose to um, donate their private funds to this candidate or that candidate. But it was their personal money. Absolutely. It It would have been. Yeah, it's illegal to use public funds for political donations so sure they yeah. just seem to heavily imply that that's what was done yeah. so I, yeah, without I any proof at all yeah without any proof at all and, and and you know we are subjected to all of the annual auditing and financial reporting that a traditional public school i mean if we were funneling you know donations illegally to people it would be caught by the auditors those were private donations made by the superintendent and the co-founder. And I did point out in the article that superintendents across this state typically donate to their local their local politicians. Um, I Like I said, I used to work in Norman. I know that that is done. Um, we have schools and I mean, we have students in 77 counties, so we don't have a local school. We're, we're dealing with lawmakers from across the state. So... You know, it's not unusual to for for school leaders to donate, and I know like the the uh, the school administrator association. They typically they have a pack where they have superintendents contribute to the pack, and then that pack donates money to um, lawmakers as well. And that wasn't in the article, but I mean that happens as well. But bottom line, um, our superintendent and co-founder donate as private individuals as they have the right to do, and sure th- that article reflected their private donations as well as their wives i thought that was interesting but yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so another thing that they brought up is that and this was something that they clearly i mean they might have asked you but they certainly didn't say it they asked you Mm -hmm. about where they um they tried to lay the claim that virtual schooling Mm -hmm. is a failure right kids drop out they end up not getting the good education they end up because it's just not good you know they had some statement from the, a national know, source not, national yeah. source yeah, yeah nothing to do with oklahoma no so they, um so why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about results from your students because i you know what they they claim that the reason you've had so much growth is because of marketing right now i don't think that over eight years you're going to grow to this size no. just because you have some ads well, what's interesting so what, yeah. what's interesting is I'll, I'll address the marketing first is there is a um a virtual school here in oklahoma that does a considerable amount of radio and television they are affiliated with a national virtual chain and they do considerable television and radio and we do none we do zero 
um, we're much larger than they are. I've, I've pointed that out to reporters before who believe that they, they hear that radio or that TV ad, and I guess they just think it's us because we're the largest, but we're not. I mean, doing radio or TV. Um, I think that, I mean, we do, you know, like any organization, we try to market ourselves um, through social media, tell our students stories, tell facts about our school, and things like that do get chair- shared. And I think really, to be honest with you, our, our best ambassadors are our, our families who are enjoying our model as well as our teachers. I think, Mm. you know, we've probably reached a point where we have such a large organization of families and teachers that that word of mouth is really what's contributing to the growth. It's certainly not television and radio because we're not investing one penny in it. Um, In terms of academic results, um, our ACT score for 2018 is above the state average. And um, we, what we, I'll be honest with you, what we typically get docked on is our graduation rate okay. because our graduation rate is somewhere around 40%. Okay. But here's the deal. That 40% is based upon a calculation that doesn't really favor any type of a virtual school. It, it means that 40% of, well, let me, let me back up. It's based upon a rate that if you start your freshman year, Four years later, your senior year, you graduate. And that is what the rate reflects. It doesn't reflect if you took an extra semester or an extra year. It just means if you started in your freshman year and you ended in your senior year, we're going to count that for your graduation rate if you're a school. Hmm. But any student that falls outside of that and still earns a diploma, they count against you. Well, at Epic, about half of the students who are coming to us in the high school grades are already off of that cohort. So the very first day we start serving them, they count against our graduation rate. Huh? Yeah. So it's kind of like, so they've, so basically they've been struggling in traditional public schools. So they come to you right? and then you get punished with the numbers yeah. for them coming to you. And get this, more and more school districts are referring their students to us. Oh, they're, they're dumping them off on you. Well, they're I'm tra- not going to say that, <laughs> but I'm going to say that they realize that we accept enrollment year round. We turn sure. no student away. And we don't really focus on that graduation rate. We focus on getting them across the finish line and earning their diploma. For some students who are coming to us two years behind, um, you know, and they count against our graduation rate from the day one, um, we just focus on getting them across the line. And just this past June, we awarded 1,400 students a high school diploma. Um, Mm. But with a graduation rate of 40%. So you see, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, that doesn't really make any sense. So we... Definitely try to focus on the raw number. How many kids are we getting across the line? And um, But for the students who do start with us in grade nine, and they're with us for the whole four years, just like a traditional school district would, our graduation rate is the same as the state average. Okay. Um, but the, the average, overall average, is lower because of what I just explained. Sure. I mean, that, that makes total sense but to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, because I... And, I've always been a huge supporter of things like school choice, and I feel like that one of the biggest critiques of school choice is the rural element and the the transportation element that, you know, someone can't just be expected always, you know, parents that are working or something like that, you know, they can't always be expected to 
to uh, drive, you know, an hour to a school right. that's better, but it's an hour away. Right. So, I mean, but I, I kind of feel like, how, how do you guys, how do you feel like that you are addressing that? Well, I, you know, for the vast majority of communities across our state, as you, if you kind of alluded to, Epic is like maybe the only public school option they have other than their brick and mortar hmm. because there is no other public school district in that community. There's just that one school district and um, maybe they there's no private school or even if there was a private school, they don't have the funds, you know, the income as a family to afford that um, and transportation to transfer to a nearby school district maybe isn't an option either. Um, so I do definitely feel like we're, we're filling that void and, um, I can say, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the, the majority of our growth from last school year to this school year is the 75 counties outside of Oklahoma and Tulsa County. I would have, really? I would have thought, yes, I would have thought that our, um, you know, 51 plus percent of our growth would have been in Tulsa and Oklahoma counties just by virtue of them being the metropolitan areas. It was actually the reverse. Um, we had more growth in the 75 counties outside of the metropolitan areas than we did in the metropolitan areas. So I think it kind of goes back to like what I said, like for most people, that traditional school model works for them. But there's still a segment of the population in every community and every school district that needs something different for various reasons. Um, you know, it could be for medical reasons or um, like the interest, you know, what I was indicating about my daughter who had Asperger's or, um, you know, it bullying. We know 40% of our kids are coming to us because they were bullied or they don't feel safe in their school. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's a stat from last year um, that, it was it was just under 50% for bullying and school safety 40% just from bullying alone mm. and you know kind of going back to you know if you live in a small community or um, you don't have any other really options to transfer and you've been bullied you know that's real hard I, I feel mean, trapped I'm sure yeah even if the school district did everything right um, bullying can be such a traumatic experience that you just don't want to be in close proximity to those people who tortured you, even if your school district supported you and did everything right. It's just, sure. I've kind of gone through that with a family member myself. So I know it's it's difficult. And so I, I definitely wanted to qualify that with, we don't want to say that school, traditional school districts aren't doing their part to alleviate bullying. Right. A lot of times they do everything right, and it's still traumatic for the child to stay there. I mean, kids are just mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got three of them, so yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one. There's, but yeah, I mean, nothing it, adults can do it's, to keep it's, kids it's, from it's being a, mean. It's a, traumatic, it's a traumatic thing for a child even or a young adult to go through. And for some students who come to us, um, they just need a timeout. They don't intend to stay with us to graduate, but they need a year to get a timeout, get, um, to get back centered, if you will, after going mm. through something like that. And then for some students who came to us and didn't intend to stay because of bullying, they stay because they really enjoy the model and they found that it, it really truly works for them. So, but it's definitely a, a big contributor to, to students enrolling at Epic is bullying and school safety. Wow. Well, um, so let's get to the part where I ask, how, how can people get in touch with you? How, how can someone enroll? What is it, is, that? it is very easy. Um, you can just go online to www.epicbullying.com. 
charterschools.org. And from there, there's a lot of information about the school. There's also an enroll tab where you can start the enrollment process online. You just fill out the paperwork, submit, and um, then we get back in touch with you very quickly. And we start exchanging records with your current school district if you're enrolled in a current school district and um, start pairing you with the teacher and get the child learning. But it's, it's, it's a very easy process. Um, so just go online to the website, epiccharterschools.org if you're interested. And also people can call us. Um, our phone number is on our website and we've got admissions counselors um, who can talk and answer any questions about what it's like to be an Epic student that maybe I haven't covered in this podcast. Cool. Well, uh, for anyone that... You know, because you are technically from Oklahoma City, but we are meeting right well, now. Actually, I was born and raised in Tulsa. Really? Yes. All right, cool. So, yeah. All right, so, still staying true to Tulsa Lately Podcast. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But we are sitting in a Tulsa office because you guys don't just do online, right? You have. Right. Uh, we, uh, starting two years ago, we started what we call blended learning centers in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa. And these are, it's, it's kind of a blend of our, what we call our one-on-one program, which is what the vast majority of our kids are in, where a teacher comes to you and you have the digital curriculum and so forth. But this is a blend of that and then an actual physical school environment that students can come to and get a hot lunch, have a playground. Um, they are, there's a, we, we configure it a little bit differently um, where there might be multiple grades like, you know, a first and second in one classroom with this with the teacher who is still doing that customized individualized learning with a student but just in a classroom environment but they still have their laptops and digital curriculum and then there's just a teacher right there in the classroom all day long with them facilitating learning and that's been appealing to parents who perhaps are two working parents and they have an, an well and I forgot to say these blended learning centers cover pre-k through sixth grade so oh, it's elementary great. Um, but it's um, there are some parents who have elementary school age kids where both parents work and they want Epic, but they can't leave their child home alone. And maybe they don't have a, a sitter or a family member who can be with them to make sure that learning is happening. So the blended learning centers kind of fill that void. And so we have one here in Tulsa off of 41st Street. And then in Oklahoma City, we have two. And we plan to expand as there is a need to expand. Hmm. You know, I just, I just really loved this conversation. Well, you good. guys, you guys really <laughs> seem like you are doing some real good for the Oklahoma education. Well, we'd system. like to think so. We I definitely mean, would like to think so. Yeah, I mean, this is this is you know the hot button topic for every politician that does that runs for anything for you know half the articles written by anyone. You know, education is what Oklahomans need, and I feel like you guys are doing right. an awesome job addressing all those well, problems. Thank you, and you know, and we. You know, a lot of people like to pit our model against a traditional brick and mortar model and make it look like, you know, we're we're out to get them. And, and that's just far from the truth. We just feel like there's a void, um, that there is not a one size fits all and kids need options. Families need options. And we're there as a quality public school option for a family that needs something different. So. We, um, we hope we're making a difference. I think the enrollment shows that there's a lot of families out there who want something different. Yeah. Um, but we are with our brick-and-mortar um, um, colleagues in that d- education needs to, be, needs to remain a focal point for this state because mm. we believe that education is the key for the state progressing. 
Well, can't really top that. Uh, so thank you very much for Absolutely. talking to me. Absolutely, this was fun. All right. And that wraps it up for this episode of Tulsa Lately. Once again, that is epiccharterschools.org. If you want to enroll a kid or try to get a job or something. Or you can look up on Facebook, Epic Charter Schools. So I'm still coordinating with Blake Ewing about sitting down and talking to him about being a local business owner and councilman and everything. Um, But if you or anyone you know does something really interesting or contributes to the community in some way, I would love to talk to you. Uh, You can just email me at TulsaLately at gmail.com. Uh, you can find my RSS feed on the website, TulsaLately.com, and as well as just in any of the episode posts. I always post it so you can pop that into whatever podcast app you listen to. But I am already on iTunes. All the new episodes automatically go up on iTunes, um, SoundCloud, Tulsa Lately. I guess that's it. So uh, I'll see y'all around.